Good morning. I too want to welcome you. In my study of talking about self-control, I came across a story of a man who was addicted to heroin for 10 years. Heroin had ravaged his life, and, and so he was overcome with heroin and really couldn't get off of it. And then things came in where faith was a part of it and really leaning on the Lord. And so he got off of heroin. And then after trying to clean his life up and get even more healthier, he decided that I, I, I'm, I'm going to give up sugar. And he said that it was absolutely harder to give up than heroin. <laughs> Now, early this morning, I came in and saw Joanne Burden, who was stationed at the cafe, and I asked her, will she keep track of someone who did not demonstrate self-control among the donuts? That person was over the age of 40 and was a man. No names. She would not give me a name. No, no. When we come down to it and we think of just the issue of sugar, we just go... Yes, please. Did you not get that? Adam Levine, sugar, yes, please. Come on. Come on. Come on. The great Jewish artist, theologian, Adam Levine. Sugar, yes, please. Oh, oh, okay. All right, now we are. Now, the Pointer Sisters even had another version of that. I got to telegraph my jokes here, it sounds like. Telegraph them. The Pointer Sister says, I'm about to lose control and I, I think I like it. And so here we go right now. We're talking about the issue of self-control this morning. And so when we take a look at Galatians chapter 5, we recognize that the last characteristic of a life that is lived in the spirit and a result of that life, self-control is the last one listed. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning before we get ready to come to this beautiful table that just represents the gospel and represents a great reminder of all that Jesus did. And so it is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the change in our character that comes by the Spirit only. And I want to make sure that you understand that Jerry and I this summer are not asking you to go out and seek peace or seek love or seek joy or seek self-control. Because all of those take place when you seek King Jesus. And when you seek King Jesus, you get what he gives, and that's the power of the Spirit that's living in you so that your life is characterized by these fruits that we've been talking about all summer long. And so when we take a look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is God to will and work in you in you for his good pleasure. So again, it's not seeking self-control. It's being aware that you can have self-control when you are in Christ and surrendering yourself to the Spirit. Every good thing we do is the fruit of the Spirit's work in our life. There's a definition of self-control. Let's specifically take a look at this one. Self-control, have it on the screen for you, is the ability to control oneself. Really? So you see the problem right now, right? Well, that's impossible. It involves moderation, constraint, and the ability to say no to our baser desires and fleshly lusts. 
Simply put, right now, we could sit up on the stage and we can talk about, oh gosh, I can't say no to the extra cookie or whatever the case is. And you've all seen the story of the kids with the marshmallows that are supposed to be sitting there and not eating the marshmallow. Maybe you, you can Google that later. But you see here, you go, you have sugar and you have maybe something to do with food or you have an extra helping of this. But then what is absolutely, can absolute ravage our lives, our kids' lives, our marriages, is the issue of purity. Recognizing that intimacy and sex is designed for a husband and a wife and not a man and a woman. It is in that confines that God blesses. And we look at self-control over here from this And we look at it over here too, this and everything in between. We desperately need the spirit of God working in us to help us control these things that are thrown at us in every single way, shape and form. Especially when it comes to Fortnite. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Especially when it comes to Fortnite. It is not that we naturally are weak-willed, but our fallen nature is under the influence of sin. And the Bible calls that that we are a slave to sin. But here it is, here it is. But Galatians chapter five, verse one says that we're free. So let's live like it. Let's live like it. And when we live in the power of the spirit, man, that love that you love with is going to be incomprehensible to the world. That control that you have in various avenues of your life, will be like, it will be unbelievable. Let us not live like the world. Let us live in the power of the spirit for the glory of God. Are you with me? That's what we wanna do. Romans 6, 6 says this, our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. And so as the spirit gives us control, we now, listen to me, as the spirit is in us and takes over, we have the ability to say no to sin. And I don't know what it is that you're dealing with in right now that's ravaged you or overtaken you, whether it's sin of anger, the sin of porn, the sin of eating, whatever it is, let's understand that self-control is a fruit of living in the spirit of living by God and for God. And that there are external forces that come against our lives and present us with things that we need the Spirit of God to say no to. Let me give you an example of this. In in Old Testament times, they had the city of Jerusalem. The city of Jerusalem was ravaged and torn down. And then Ezra and some folks came back in and built that city back up, Jerusalem. And then what we have is we have a wall and there needed to be a wall around the city. And so what happened is we have Nehemiah who comes in and he builds that wall. And there were some times where he was fending off people with one hand and building it with the other is what it says. And he rallied people together and in a very short amount of time, they rebuilt the wall around that city. And the reason they built that wall around the city is because there were bad influences that were coming in from the outside that would disrupt their worship of the most high God. And so let that be an illustration of what God does in our lives is that when he comes in and when he saves us, he gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might have self-control to say no to those things on the outside and say yes to those things that fire us up for love and good deeds. We don't exhibit self-control. Here's a quote for you. We don't exhibit self-control if we continually entertain that which will enslave us. We don't exhibit self-control if we continually entertain that which will enslave us. 
and self-control based on 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 leads to perseverance. Is what it says in 1 Peter. I have another quote for you. Self-control is a gift that frees us. It frees us to enjoy the benefits of a healthy body. And it frees us to rest in the security of good stewardship. It allows us to do just that. And so again, all summer long, what Jerry and I have been trying to do for the best of our ability here is to allow us to see a picture of someone who is surrendered and controlled by the spirit of the living God and what your life will look like. And so today, as we finish things up, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. First off, the apostle Paul, we know, was a terrorist for Christians, the greatest known terrorist in the world. And he got radically changed by the gospel, by King Jesus. And then he went out and he planted churches in cities all across the world. And the gospel spread because that's what God wanted it to do. God used Paul to do that. Paul went into a city known as Corinth because Corinth was absolutely horrible at the time that he was writing this letter. You see, Paul went into the city of Corinth and he started churches. He was there for a year and a half. And then he left and was going other places to plant churches. And he got word that the city, the churches in the city of Corinth were overwhelmed with divisions. They were overwhelmed with food issues. They were overwhelmed with gross sexual immorality. And Paul said, I'm going to write you not one letter, but two letters, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. So that's the basis for the letter that White was being written. In our text right now, it's important, the text that I'm going to read, the couple of verses that we'll camp out in, it's important for you to understand that in this area of Corinth, there is something that it's called an isthmus. And an isthmus is a narrow strip of land that connects two larger masses of land. So Corinth was located on an isthmus that connected northern and southern Greece. That's really important. And every year, they would have these games called the Ithmian Games. In the Ithmian Games, what would take place, there would be races, running races, and there would be wrestling, and then there would be boxing. So we've had wrestling, we have boxing, and we have running races. And Paul was very familiar with these games, and to draw a point out about discipline and self-control. He uses these games as an illustration to get their attention about what is needed to live a life of faith. A live a life that is consumed and wrapped up and controlled by the God of the universe. So yes, it is a rebuke of them, but yes, it also is an instruction to them on how they should live. And that's where we pick it up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. I'm gonna read that now. Here it says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. At least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So what do we learn? I have three points that I believe that we learn in this text in regards to living in the spirit, in regards to specifically self-control. Remember, he's using sports and the discipline of the athlete to help us understand the discipline of the follower of Jesus. So we're gonna pick this apart. First point, number one is run the way the winner runs. Number one, run the way the winner runs. Let's unpack it for a minute. 24 says this, do you not know that in a race, Stop right there. 
So we have a race right now. And in a race, you have people that are on the field. What happens is he's not emphasizing people that are in the stands. He is emphasizing people that are on the field. He's using what happens here as a, an illustration to say he's talking about the runners. He's talking about them being on the field running. He's drawing an illustration for you and I as believers, because he's writing to believers right now. He's saying that, that what I want you to know is that it's a race. You are not designed to sit in the stands. You are invited to play. You are invited to be on the field. That is where you're going to understand why you're created and who you are, is when you will understand that you're on the field of the mission of God. He says, do you not know that it's a race? And then he says, all runners run. Again, not saying that you're a spectator. You shouldn't be a spectator. If you're bored and you're spectating, then something is greatly missing in your life. You'll never be, will never be who God created us to be. Then he comes down here and he talks about, but only one receives the prize. When he says one receives the prize, let me make sure you understand because the Bible does not teach this whatsoever. This is not a works-based salvation. We know that Paul does not teach that. We know that the Bible does not teach that. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, period. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's the whole Bible. That's the book of Galatians. That's the whole story. What he's saying is there are people who run a race and they're going after a prize. Then he transitions to the Christian and he says, so run the way a winner runs. Don't run for the prize, run because you have the prize. Don't run for it, run because you have it. And he says, all runners run. What he's saying is they're plural. There's many people that are running because when you run, it encourages other people to run. Some of you are in here and you've heard me share this story with you about Dana and I's first ever 5K race together. It was something that I will never forget as long as I live because my wife will not let me forget it. You've heard me say this, some of you, I'm gonna go ahead and say it again. We sing the same song on Sundays, so I'm gonna share the same illustration, okay? Here's what happened. I told Dana I'd run in a couple of 5K races and I was like, Dana, I want you to run this race with me. And she says, no. As a matter of fact, I am going to get a sticker for my car that says 0.0. I was like, okay. So I convinced her to run in this race. And the way that I convinced her to run in this race is told her that I would be by her side and that I would not leave her. From the start of the whistle to the end of the whistle, I am with you, I am beside you, I will not leave you. Well, I'm telling you, something happened to me. Something overcame me in the race. I was standing beside her. I got you, babe. I got you. She said, don't you leave me. Don't you leave me. I got you. I got you. Literally 40 steps into the race, and I just kept going. I just, I didn't even look back. (laughs) I left her completely, like left her. I was like, I've got to finish. I mean, this illustration, when I talk about all runners run, and it's like the point that Paul was trying to make is we're in this thing together. Let's encourage each other to run. And I got done with the race and I was like, I left my wife. I left her in the race. Well, I was like, oh boy, I need to fix this. So I got my kids and I brought them. They were really small at the time. It's like 2009. I brought them to the finish line so that we could all be there to really say, great job, great job. Way to go, mom. She came across that finish line looking at me like, I'm gonna kill you. No words. I could just see it in her mouth. I could just see it. And so here's what Paul is saying. Listen, let me just tell you this right now as one of your pastors. 
If you're running in a race with your wife, do what you say you're going to do, stick with her. <laughs> okay? here's, here's what he's saying right now. I want you to run the way the winner runs. That is, he has a prize. Run like you have it. Not run to get it. Run like you have it. Run the way the winner runs. How does the winner run? How does he run? With everything he had, he runs hard. It gives the race everything he has. I wonder sometimes when it comes to the mission of the church and us in here. I mean, I, I remember the first time that I was playing baseball and I was terrible and I had to play right field. It was better than left out. Um, and I was playing in right field and I just, I got the glove over my face because the bugs were in my, in my eyes. And I mean, I was the guy picking flowers. I was not good. And, and here I give you that illustration to make sure you understand that, listen to me, the God of the universe has saved you, not for you to sit down. Church, you've heard me say this, it's, it's a verb, it's not a noun. And he's looking at us right now and he's saying, I want you to discipline yourself, to have self-control and run like the runner runs, which is a win. That's what I want you to run. That's point number one. Number two, use the power available for you to run. Use the power available for you to run. Verse 25 says this, every athlete exercises self-control. So he's saying, I want you to run like the winner, but I want you to also realize that when you run like the winner, I want you to make sure that you understand you have power that is available for you to run this race. Every athlete exercises self-control in how many things? In all things, not just parts, but in all things. For the athlete to get ready for a race, there is an enormous amount of preparation for the athlete to get ready. There is eating right, there's sleeping right, getting enough sleep, there's actual training. I mean, I know that it goes couch to 5K, but there's a lot in the middle that happens between couch to 5K, right? There's a lot that happens. So we have to train. Weights could be involved, maybe swimming's involved. Some of those things, there is an enormous amount of things that are involved. If you take a look at Michael Phelps, one of the greatest athletes of our time, when he was in training, all of those things were part of his life. Swimming, weights, running, getting enough sleep. He was eating up to 10,000 calories a day, and he was doing this for six to eight hours per day. And so what Paul is telling us right now, every athlete exercises self-control, but you also have to understand that Paul wrote the book of Galatians, and he knows that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. So when we sit there and say every athlete exercises self-control, he is making the connection to you and I as followers of Christ that we allow the Spirit of God to control us as we go. We have to understand that we need self-control because there are so many impulses that come against us that try to distract us. There are so many things that will fight for our earnestness in prayer, for our love for God's word, for our longing to love each other, and our passion for holiness. All of those things are at a war. And so when we take a look at self-control, we have to look at what does the serious athlete do? The serious athlete does what? He asks about what will bring about maximum performance. That's what the serious athlete does. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to sit there and ask, what will allow me to say yes to this, but no to this? What will, have, what will allow me to demonstrate self-control? What will allow me to do that? I've got a couple of questions I think we should ask. What will make me most useful for the kingdom? What will stir up my zeal for God most? What will intensify my earnestness in prayer? What will trigger more hunger for God's word? What will strengthen my longing to love? What will fan the flames of my passion for holiness? And that right there is what we need to ask. So 
we run the way the winner runs and we use the power that it's available to us. And number three, we fight for the mission. We fight for the mission. Here's what I want you to see in verse 26. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. Paul transitions. He transitions and he goes, I. So I do not run aimlessly. Meaning what he's telling you and I is that I have a purpose. I know why I'm here. My purpose in life is to make much of Jesus. It'll come out more in just a minute. Then he says, I do not box as one beating the air. So boxing was a sport in the Ithmian games. They knew the sport of boxing. They knew exactly what was taking place. But here's what he's actually saying. I don't box as if I'm going to miss, okay? I don't do that as someone can miss. What I'm doing is I'm boxing against my selfish desires. So what he's saying is I box and every single time I box, I pummel my body. The blows are to my body to get it into line with the God of creation in the universe, Verse 27 says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Aimlessly, focus, discipline, boxing. And then he says this, verse 27, why do I do this? Why is he doing this? Why is he running the way the winner runs? Why is he relying on the power of the spirit that's in him? And why is he fighting for the mission? What do we see? He said, least of all, after preaching. The word preaching there means to proclaim or declare. And so I know that there's a role of a preacher or a role of a pastor that Jerry and I stand up here and speak to you on a regular basis. But there's also you as someone who is a preacher in the essence that you are proclaiming. And so what Paul is saying, the reason that I discipline my body and that I have self-control, that I rely upon the spirit to control me is so that I do not disqualify myself by saying one thing and doing something completely different. Haven't we seen enough of that? Especially when we look in the mirror. And so it's high time that not necessarily we look, say, I want self-control, I'm going after self-control. No, the spirit of the living God is the power inside of us to do all of this. And that's what he's declaring for us to go and do. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, the body is for the Lord, it's for him. So Paul makes his body to serve for the glory of God. And that's my hope for us is that we would do just that. When it comes to the work of the Spirit, how do we know that the Spirit comes in? Jesus, as we transition here to the bread and the juice, the fruit of the Spirit is to demonstrate the fame of Jesus. And we stand here right now, coming to the table and recognizing that we have opportunity to have God to control us. We have opportunity for God to bring out love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. We have, he does that. But when we stop here and we transition from, okay, God, all summer long, you've been teaching us what your spirit will do in us. They're the fruit of the spirit. We've been hearing that. And now we come down to remember what he did at the table so that we can remind it the power by which we have. And I think the table, if I could use a term that I've read recently, it's, it's re-gospel ourselves. You and I need to be reminded often about the gospel. We need to re-gospel ourselves. And that's what the elements here demonstrate to you and I. I mean, when you take a look at it and stuff, we sit there and we'd say, God made everything and it was good. If you look at Genesis chapter one, verse chapter one, the whole entire chapter, seven times he said it was good, it was good. And then when he made man, he said, it was very good. And then what happened is God put man in a garden and told them, don't touch this. And they did. And because of that, sin entered the world. Sin entered the world and affected the world in drastic situations. But because we have a God of great mercy, and a God of great grace, 
He said, I'm going to rescue because you cannot answer that sin issue. I'm going to send you the greatest sacrifice you've ever seen. I'm going to send you my one and only son. And Jesus came. He lived for 33 years, the last three years of his life. You know this and I know this. He preached, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was beaten. He was actually arrested for trumped up charges. He was beaten beyond belief. He carried a wooden tree to a hill. They put it down, they put him on the tree. Very important for you to understand. They did not kill him, he gave up his life. Don't miss that. The table declares that he was not killed. He gave up his life. And here's what he said before he gave up his life. He said, it is finished. And I don't want you to forget that. That the power that we have because of him is when he declared it is finished. And he also declared that one day I'm going to come back and I'm going to make all this thing right. And when you come to this table, you are declaring that it is finished in your life. And you're declaring that I'm coming back. And it gives us focus to sit there and say, I want Jesus, I want all of him, and allow him to fill me and use me for his good, his glory, and to stir each other up that I'm around. Because that's what life's all about. Let me pray. God, I love you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for loving us, and I thank you for taking care of us. I'm grateful for your goodness and your grace. And I'm grateful for this table and what it represents. I pray that in the meantime right now, that you in Jesus' name would allow us to never forget what you did. Thank you that your body was given to us. Thank you that your blood was shed for us. Help us never to get over that. Quiet our hearts, speak to us right now. God, I wanna thank you for the quietness of just this couple of minutes here. Lord, we just wanna make sure that our hearts are in right with you, align with you. We do not come to this table recklessly. We come to it, God, recognizing that what you did was so profound. What you did was exactly what we needed. Help us never to forget that. So use us and help us to worship you as we just celebrate your answer for sin, you being the answer for life, and celebrate that one day you're gonna come back. And we can't wait for that. Pray this in Jesus' name.